Oh, I'm going to applause before I even start. I like the sound of that. Christmas is coming, y'all. Uh, who's got family coming in town to visit? Anybody? Wow. Where are they coming from? Greg? New York and L.A. New York and L.A. Meeting in the middle. All right. Who else, who else rose their hand? California. California. You know, Tennessee? Tulsa? All right. Mexico, all right, international. Um, I, uh, I've got family coming to visit this week. I'm really excited. It's kind of a special visit. My mom is coming to stay with us. And it's also special because I haven't seen her in more than two years. Some of you know that half my family lives in Southeast Asia. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law moved there almost 10 years ago uh, with their four children, and my mom and stepdad have lived there for a few years as well, and so I really only get to see them every couple years. Um, and uh, technology really helps because we, it, it helps us stay connected, and uh, we get to video chat and stuff like that. It's pretty amazing, but it, it's just not the same, right? It's not the same as being together in person. And I'm guessing that a lot of you, just based on like the hands that were raised, know what it's like uh, to, to wait to be united in person with the people that you love, right? To have family or friends that you wish were close, you have to wait and settle for those moments where you can be together in person just a couple times a year. Um, and, or perhaps you have um, a spouse or a, a family member that's in the military that's been deployed and you know what it's like to just count the days waiting for their return. And in thinking about that time period that, that we know they're coming, like it's planned, it's on the books, it's on the calendar, and we are waiting, we are anticipating their arrival. There's something I feel like that's inside of us that knows that the arrival of this person is going to just kind of like complete some part of our life that is missing when they're not here with us. And so in the 18th century, Charles Wesley, he wrote a hymn for Advent called, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus which inspired the name of our Advent series this year because the main idea that we are talking about these few weeks is this idea that the Messiah didn't simply just like pop up out of nowhere. He didn't just like show up on the scene unexpectedly just with lofty claims of eternal life and salvation and heaven and amazing things about God. No, the arrival of Jesus was a long time coming. There were numerous, countless prophecies and promises and signposts that were planted throughout the centuries of the Old Testament world. And so leading up to the birth of Jesus, God's people had eagerly waited for the day that the Savior would finally come. And all the prophecies, all the promises that they had been reading about and they had been hearing about for generations would finally be fulfilled. And this is how a man named Simeon fits into the nativity story in the book of Luke chapter 2. We pick up with his story in verse 25. It goes like this, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. 
And he came in in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, referring to Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people Israel And so Simeon, he's described as being a man who's righteous, he's devout, and he had the Holy Spirit upon him. He was a man who knew knew both the voice of God and the word of God. And what I mean is that he could sense how the Holy Spirit was nudging him and leading him, which is why he knew that the baby that Mary was holding in, in her arms was different than the rest, even though he had never even met him before. But he was also a devout man, which meant that he practiced his faith, which means he knew the scripture. He just devoured the scripture. And so he didn't just see and know and understand that the child was unique, but he understood what specifically that child came to accomplish because it was written about. It was written about in the Old Testament scripture. He knew that there were, as I've mentioned, prophecies and promises that this child was meant to fulfill. And there were many. But Simeon's encounter highlights one special one in particular. In the book of Luke chapter 2, it says that Simeon was eagerly waiting for the consolation of Israel a time where they would experience much-needed comfort. Because throughout their history, suffering was a part of Israel's history. Now, some of it was their own doing. It was, you know, the result of their own poor decisions and their own sin. And some of it was because of the oppression of others. They were constantly under threat uh, from foreign powers that saw the strategic significance of their location. Right? They were this place that connected Africa and Europe and Asia. They endured centuries of slavery in Egypt. They were invaded and conquered by other nations. Usually it came after a rough stint of rejecting God and rejecting the prophets that came to warn them. Uh, they were political exiles for 70 years. And even at the time that this This story is playing out with Simeon in the temple. In Luke chapter 2, Israel was subject to the rule and domination of an emperor who lived almost 1,500 miles away, all the way in Rome. And so it's fair to say that they were well acquainted with suffering and hardship, and they were desperately in need of comfort and compassion. And God had promised that the day was coming where he would do just that. And not just any kind of comfort. We're talking about a kind, that, like a true comfort that would be permanent and lasting. And so in the book of Isaiah, written more than 700 years before the birth of Christ, we see this promise. Isaiah 40, 1 through 2 says, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And this, this is what Simeon, this is what all of God's people had been anxiously waiting for. That's mentioned in Luke chapter 2. 
But there's an important detail in this phrase, the consolation of Israel. This phrase should actually be understood more so like a, like a name or a title. And so what this means is that Simeon wasn't merely waiting for some sort of like event to occur. He wasn't simply waiting for like a period of time to begin where like the circumstances would finally be different, but he was waiting for a person to arrive. The Messiah himself would be their comfort. Two summers ago, a road trip to Yellowstone National Park with my family. And it was a really exciting trip because my kids had never been there and actually I hadn't been there since I was a kid. Um, and, and when we got there, I realized that for my youngest who had just turned six years old that summer, the geysers were probably the most terrifying thing that she'd ever seen in her life. And Thinking about it, like, it's actually not that annoying. I actually get it. I sympathize because when you are young and you're really small and you're standing just a few yards away from a hole in the ground that spews extremely hot water and intense steam just like explodes like several feet into the air, towering over your head, sometimes at unpredictable moments, it can be a bit much, right? And I don't know if you've been there uh, to Yellowstone, but like all those like uh, warning signs probably don't help. You know the ones, the ones that say danger, the ones that have literal cartoon characters like falling into the geysers and getting burned. I get it. But despite her trepidation, we, we saw some geysers and we, we made sure to go see Old Faithful. You got to see Old Faithful. And so we get there, and of course, you got to time it, and you got to wait it out, right? And we're waiting for the eruption. And we're sitting on the bench. There's this big viewing area, and we're watching the steam build, and we're just counting the minutes. But while the anticipation built, so did my daughter's anxiety. She wanted none of it. She wanted to get the heck out of there because she was convinced that the water was going to get her. But in trying to do my best as a dad to console and to comfort. I tried to explain to her that, like, like we're, we're going to be okay. I told her, like, these benches that we're sitting on, these are in the safe zone, I said. So we're okay. And get this. Like, you can't buy moments like these. She looks, at, she looks up at me with a smile on her face, holding on to me, and no joke, she, she said, Daddy's my safe zone. And she felt totally at ease as long as she was sitting right on top of me and my arms were wrapped around her and we got through it. It seems to me that we often convince ourselves and we try to convince God sometimes too that, that the only way to experience real comfort and real peace in our life is to change the circumstances and settings that surround our life. And the thinking is that if we can just do away with the oppressors, if we can just like fix this problem, if we can just put an end to the hardship, then, then I'll finally be at ease. I'll find peace. I can finally live in comfort. Just get me as far away from the scalding hot water and steam of life and I'll be fine. But the comfort that God has promised you isn't about getting as far away as possible from the difficulty, but getting as close as possible to Jesus. It isn't about the absence of suffering, but the presence of God's Son in it. 
And so the comfort of God is not just a, a, a new set of cushy circumstances that he is arranging for you to have an easier life. Get this, it's so much better than that. The comfort of God is a person. His name's Jesus. And when you look to him, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the obstacles that you face, regardless of the brokenness that you're experiencing, you will be held by him. In him, you will find solid ground even when the world around you shakes. In him, you will find your safe zone even when the world around you erupts. And now, I'd like to just take a closer look at this passage from Isaiah 40, 1 through 2, because it gives us some clues to the kind of comfort that the Messiah came to bring us. What does this comfort actually look like? First of all, this passage and this promise in Isaiah tells us that Jesus came to bring rest in your weariness. Rest in your weariness. Take a look at our verse. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. This line, it paints the picture of a, of a soldier whose time of enlistment has finally come to an end. Right? Like they've gone through some really hard stuff. They've seen some things, but it's over now. The time has come where you can finally walk away from it, where, where you get to go home and be at rest. Because you see, God's people were tired. They were tired of the suffering. They were tired of the loss. They were tired of the tears in the morning. They were tired of the conflict. They were tired of always having to fight for their freedom. They were tired of not having a home. They were tired of feeling alienated. They were tired of the crushing burdens of life. They were tired of the uncertainty that always filled their future. They were tired of wondering if God had given up on them. And you know what? You might be hearing this and you might be thinking like, dude, that's me. I'm tired. And maybe you are. Maybe for you, you're tired from carrying the heaviness of grief and not sure how much longer you can do it. Or perhaps you're worn out from feeling like you're always running and you're scared to think of what might happen if you stop. Or perhaps you're in a place in your life where the burdens just feel overwhelming or your future looks uncertain. And unfortunately, these seasons come. They come for us all. Or we have to navigate a time of suffering and sadness or just plain exhaustion. And usually it catches us off guard. We're not ready for it. It never comes at a convenient time. And these moments feel harder than they have to be. And you wonder if, if it's ever going to end or if you're going to be okay. And you wonder why God feels so silent. And I don't know about you, but in those moments, you, you can feel like, dude, I just think like, maybe, maybe God's forgotten about me. And if you feel that way or have felt that way, know that you're not alone. I've been there. And in fact, the promise of God's comfort that we're talking about this morning, it actually comes to God's people when they're precisely in this kind of spot. They're there. 
We see in Isaiah 49, this promise shows up again here. It says, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, Zion's a name that's referring to God's people. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord's forgotten me. But God comes back and he says, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I just love this because it's like God is saying, not only have I not forgotten you, but it is impossible for me to withhold my love from you. It is, it is completely impossible for me to withhold my compassion from you, to withhold my presence from you. And then he gives us this stunning visual for how his compassionate and comforting presence shows up in our life and for the kind of true deep rest it provides us in our weariness. You see, when he's talking about having compassion on us, he uses this, this metaphor of a mother's love for her child. Not only that, but it says the child of her womb. And that's because in the Hebrew language, the word compassion is racham, and it is very closely related for the Hebrew word for womb, rachem. And so these two words are meant to be put together to create this, this visual that God's compassion towards you, it acts like a womb. It is not some sort of passive, distant vibe that God sends your way when things are rough in your life. Like, sorry, buddy, thoughts and prayers. No, what it means is that God's love and his mercy and his presence completely surrounds you when you need it most. It holds you up. And when you are a place where you are just so weary, he will come around you and you literally have to do nothing to receive it. You don't have to do a little dance for him. You don't have to prove that you, you are deserving of it. No, he comes around, you literally have to do nothing and you can take a posture of total rest because he's got you. God is covering you in safety. He is covering you in security. He is, he is providing you a sanctuary where you can receive what you need and be filled with his life-giving love. This is our God of comfort. And so if you're weary, take comfort in knowing that God has not forgotten you. He will not withhold himself from you. He has exactly what you need in this season, and you can find rest for your soul in him. The invitation from Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight says it all, where he says, man, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you at the end of your rope? Then come to me, and I will give you rest. But that's not all, because Jesus also came to bring us relief from your sin sickness. Relief from your sin sickness. Back to our passage in Isaiah 40, it says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Her iniquity is pardoned. Is it just me, or does it seem like everyone is getting sick lately? 
Like the crud is just like sweeping the schools, the city. Like there's, it's just like a choir of hacking and coughing out there. Uh, I mean, we've, we've had a, a, a variety of flavors kind of like make its way through our family really since school started, like week one of school. And then it's just like my family was like dropping like flies. Uh, but I think I experienced the most unpleasant illness of my entire life last summer. And it all started on Father's Day, of course. And uh, I remember in the morning, I was starting to feel uh, like the first signs that, that I caught something. You know that feeling? Those like first signs where you're still kind of in denial and you're just praying like, maybe it's allergies. <laughs> maybe like, it's, I didn't really sleep last night. You just start telling everybody like, it's okay, I think that's this, right? Or maybe it's like that chalupa you decided to buy on impulse from Taco Bell the night before and you're like, I don't know, like something's not sitting. Um, but by dinner time, like it was obvious. Like my whole body was shutting down and I will spare you the details because this is church, but it felt like a combination, like some weird hot cocktail of influenza and severe food poisoning, a little COVID here, a little of this there, and, uh, but it was none of those things. And uh, Lindsay, she kept telling me to go see a doctor, just go see somebody, go get it figured out. I'm like, nah, 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 my body's just got to work through it. It's got to like take its natural like course. My body knows how to do this, all right? Uh, and there was even like this day or two where I felt vindicated because like a, the, a week into it, there was a day or two where I felt like I, I was turning a corner. I was like, I think I'm feeling better. But then I woke up the next morning and it all came back with a vengeance. Uh, and finally, after three weeks, I was like, mm, I think I'm going to see a doctor. <laughs> And uh, it turns out, we got to the bottom of it, turns out that I got this gnarly bacterial infection that's commonly found in chickens. And uh, as it happens, you guys, I got a lot of chickens outside my house. Sometimes they find their way in the house. I'll tell you sometime the rest of the stories if you want, but I don't have time for that. It all made sense. I was like, oh. Now get this, I get a phone call from the Colorado Department of Health. No joke. And they're like, is this Timothy Carassel Jr.? Uh, we know. <laughs> Seriously, they're like, yeah, so we, uh, we, we found out that you've got this thing and we need to ask you a few questions. I was on the phone with them for like a half hour. They're interviewing me about like literally every step I took, everywhere I went leading up to the days where I first show, started showing symptoms. They wanted to track it and get a paper trail and they wanted to just make sure they had like pins on the map in case there was like other cases that popped up. And it was at this point where I was like, oh, I see, this was serious. <laughs> this, this is a big deal. But I got the right antibiotics, uh, and after another week, I finally was on the mend. And you know the feeling when you've been sick for like so long, you've been in pain long enough where you didn't, don't even realize how bad you got until, until uh, like the healing process starts and you begin to feel it lifting. And then all of a sudden, you, you feel the relief, right? It is so, so sweet where you can, you can sleep again, you can breathe again, you've got energy again, even just to think straight again, right? It's like you've been living in this fog. 
And they're like, oh, I can like formulate sentences and I can understand what people are saying to me. God knew his people needed. He knew that we needed relief from our sin-sick souls. Because it's a sickness that has completely overtaken the system. Our mind, our desires and affections, our narratives, our decisions, our priorities, our relationships, the whole gamut. And all of humanity has become so sin-sick that we have lost perspective of how serious and detrimental it really is. And really the only way out is some, is some kind of intervention outside of ourselves. We need something beyond ourselves because this is something that's just not going to work itself out on its own over time if we just let it lie. But this is precisely what Jesus has come to do for us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, this is literally what he says. He's, uh, he's being criticized by religious leaders because they're, they're baffled that he would choose to spend his time with, with social outcasts and basically people that were considered so sinful they weren't even allowed in the temple to worship God because they were too spiritually unclean. And so the relig religious leaders pull aside his disciples and they're like, dude, what is up with your teacher? Why does he hang out with these people all the time? And this is what Jesus says. So Says, when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus has come to draw near the sin-sick soul. But you guys, not with condemnation, not to make you feel bad, for needing help? Not to come and, and scold you and be like, you got yourself into this, you get yourself out of it. No, he draws near in his mercy with a plan to bring you relief, to free your mind, to free your heart, to free your desires and your relationships and your future from the grip that sin has on your life to heal you, to mend you. The comfort that God has promised you through Jesus is the sweet relief of finally being able to breathe the way you were meant to breathe, to finally be able to live the way you were meant to live, to finally be able to flourish in your life, to finally be free from the things that have kept you stuck for so long. This is the comfort that he comes to bring us. And lastly, Jesus comes to bring you this, reassurance for your guilt. Reassurance. Back to Isaiah 40. The last line says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And this is what it means. This is another way of saying that, man, there has been more than enough judgment. We're done. There will be no more. It's finished. When the Messiah comes, that means that we have the reassurance that our guilt is totally covered, that our, our judgment is totally satisfied. And there's this verse in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews uh, 4.16 that, man, this verse I think would have made a first century Jew just marvel. 
It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will find, we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, you didn't just approach the throne of God. No. No. You see, God's throne, it was represented on earth by the Ark of the Covenant. That goes way back to the age of Moses. And the Ark of the Covenant is sat in the innermost chamber of the temple, this room called the Holy of Holies. And uh, only one time of year could one person, the high priest, uh, was allowed to enter into this space and they could offer a sacrifice for the atonement of Israel's sins to cover the guilt of all the people. This was referred to as the Day of Atonement. But before the high priest could even enter in there, he had to make sure he went through all the proper purification processes. He had to wear the the right sacred garments and offered the right sacrificial animal in the proper way. But outside of that day, no one was allowed in there. No exceptions. But we hear and learn and see in Scripture that when Jesus arrives, he offers himself as a sacrifice, not just for Israel, but for all of humanity on the cross. And in doing so, we're told that access to the throne of God is now completely and uh, totally and utterly open, without exception. You can now come boldly to his throne. Without fear, without worry, without wondering, for it is not a throne of judgment, it is a throne of grace where you will find God's mercy, his comfort, his compassion. You will find the grace you need at the time that you need it. He says, come. And now, I don't know about you and your personalities, but for me, when someone is mad at me, someone doesn't like me, When I hear that someone has been offended by me, man, it eats me up inside. I know that some people, they couldn't care less about that kind of stuff. But for me, I like lose sleep. I like obsess about it, especially when it's my wife. (laughs) Doesn't happen very often, I swear. No, but when she's upset with me, like I carry that with me like in everything I do that day. I can't shake it. And now for some, you carry that same kind of feeling in your relationship with God every single day. Unsure of what God thinks about you. Wondering or maybe even believing that he's disappointed in you. He's angry with you. But the reassurance of grace that Jesus offers you means that you don't have to live in fear or shame. It means you don't have to be defined by the narrative of your mistakes and your failures. It means you don't have to live your life wondering what God thinks about you, if he's disappointed in you, or if he's going to write you off and give up on you. No, you can live with the reassurance and the confidence and the freedom knowing that God is madly in love with you. He is for you. And he will never give up on you. And he is inviting you in simply because he delights in you. And I just love how in the passage that we're reading throughout this morning's message in Isaiah 40, 1 through 2, it says this. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God's voice and God's posture towards you is one of tenderness. 
and not callousness. It is one of warmth and not coldness. It is one of kindness and gentleness, not harshness. Listen, God doesn't just love you. God likes you. He wants to be with you. He is eager to spend time with you. And he's inviting you to draw near and find the rest and the relief and the reassurance of his grace that you need right now. Worship team, you guys can join me on stage. What I love about Simeon's story in Luke chapter 2 is that he scoops up the child out of Mary's arms and he just gushes with absolute faith and certainty regarding the consolation, the salvation, and the glory that Jesus would bring to the world. But remember, Jesus is only a few days old. Up until this point, he had done absolutely nothing to prove that he would or could do any of that. He's a baby. But Simeon's hope was completely undeterred by that fact. No, he knew that he could get his hopes up in Jesus. And if Simeon could, how much more can we, you guys? Because for you and me, the Jesus that we know, man, this Jesus has already fed the masses. He's already walked on water. He's already calmed the storm. He's already healed the sick. He's already delivered the demonic. He's already restored dignity to the broken. He's already raised the dead. He's already laid his life down on the cross and conquered the grave. And for many of you, he's already created a history of moving in your own personal life. And so, yes, I think that Simeon was right. I think that Simeon was on to something. We can get our hopes up in Jesus. He will not disappoint. And his promise of comfort, his promise of rest, of relief, and reassurance for your life is so real. And it is here And it's an offer that's on the table for you right now if you need it. What I'd like to do is I'd like to just give each of us a space and a moment to have a short conversation with God. Whatever conversation you need to have with him. So let's close our eyes together. Our God is not a God of empty promises. Sometimes I like to think that God is telling me, man, like, I just dare you to get your hopes up in me. Try it. See what happens when you just let go and let me do my thing. 
and you let me show up for you, where you let me show up with a miracle in your life. And this morning, I want you to know that God is promising you comfort in the way that you need it most right now. And perhaps for you, it's in finding rest or finding relief or perhaps the reassurance of grace. And would you take a moment to just communicate with God what you need? Let him know. This morning, as we conclude our time together, we worship. We'll have people uh, from our prayer team up front this morning in case you'd like some prayer. I know for me, sometimes I'm so tired, so exhausted. I'm like, I don't even know what to say, but I know I need, I need something. And I need somebody to step in and, and give me the words. So we're here for you. Or even for you, like... If you don't have this big pressing need to get prayer for, that's okay. You can just come up here and just be blessed. Did you know that? That's allowed. You can just come up to somebody on the prayer team and say, will you just bless me? I don't know what I need. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak so tenderly into our life, that you are so approachable, so accessible. You are so kind so gentle to us. You know what we need, the deep longings and aches of our heart and soul. Would you step into that place this morning, Lord, for us and bless us. In Jesus' name.